You are listening to KBIA 91.3 FM. This is a rebroadcast of today's live intersection show. Tune in Monday through Friday at noon for the live call-in show, or leave us a message at 877-532-0971. That's 877-532-0971. Hello, and welcome back to our special series of live discussions we're hosting here at KBIA each weekday at this time and place. We're glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. During this time of crisis, what we're wanting to do here is just open up the airwaves to community, connection, and conversation. So we're very glad that you're joining us today. Um, So many of you have probably already seen this morning the latest news. Columbia and Boone County have announced a stay-at-home order just this morning, limiting all activity outside the home to essential activities. To help us sort through this, we have KBIA reporter Sebastian Martinez-Valdivia here again. Hello, Sebastian. How are you? Hi, Janet. I'm fine. So I think there might be a lot of questions and confusions about the stay-at-home order. A lot of people are already staying at home. Some people can't stay at home. What does this change? Yeah, so I think probably one of the biggest changes is it suspends non-essential businesses. So there's a designation in the order. It's 13 pages long uh, of what businesses are considered essential for the safety and security of the community uh, and therefore by exclusion, which ones aren't. Um, And so essentially the language of the order says that all residents should stay home um, and should only leave with uh, essential business. And so that's stuff like getting food, getting medical supplies, um, checking on family members potentially who live in other households, um, and getting health care. Um, and so that's essentially what a lot of people have, have already been practicing, um, at, at, hopefully. Um, but the essential business designation uh, seems important um, from my perspective, from what I've seen. Um, and essentially, there's a pretty long list of businesses that are considered essential. Um, I've looked through the order, through the 13 pages of the order. Um, some of them are obvious, like grocery stores, uh, pharmacies, healthcare facilities, which you would expect to stay open uh, during this sort of pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the press, luckily, so we're able to continue operating. We're considered an essential business, okay. um, as well as agriculture businesses producing food. But then there's other things like um, construction companies, private security firms, um, other businesses that more or less are related somehow to the safety and security of the community. Okay, and uh, let's keep talking. Sebastian, if your time can allow us just for a few minutes here. But I want to put out a call to listeners. This is our live gathering here each day, and so you can be part of this discussion. Is there a way that this new order is affecting you or your business? We'd like to know how this order might affect you. Any questions you have? Sebastian, you were at this morning's press conference about this. And we have some tape that you sent us from uh, Mayor Brian Treese, the mayor of Columbia. Um, he's got a little bit of a soundbite here on talking about what the order excludes, what it doesn't include. Shall we hear a little bit about of that? Yeah, definitely. We can listen in. Uh, also, just to clarify, I was at the press conference virtually because it oh, was yes. live streamed. It's the first <laughs> press conference that they've live streamed. So Good um, that idea. was a new experience. But yeah, we should, we should listen to that. Okay, too. here's what Treese had to say. While pausing non-essential business... This order allows critical infrastructure and essential activities to continue, such as shopping for groceries, going to the doctor or pharmacy, obtaining fuel for vehicles, continuing financial services, 
and meals from restaurants with carryout or curbside pickup. Okay, there's the voice of calm there from Mayor Tree saying what it does not include. What are you expecting the reaction to this to be, Sebastian? Yeah, so I've seen on social media just um, a little bit of confusion from people. Um, also, some folks asking for it to go a little further in terms of limiting, for example, the amount of people who can be in a grocery store. Um, so grocery stores, supermarkets are considered uh, essential businesses. Um, and so there's no necessary like limit aside from, you know, the normal occupancy limits on grocery stores to how many people can go in there. And so people have been concerned about congestion in grocery stores and, and stuff like that. Um, and I'll be speaking to the mayor a little later today uh, to get some clarification on that as well. Okay, uh, you're listening to our special noontime live forum on KBIA, where you can join us. How is this crisis and this outbreak affecting your daily life? We were already going to be talking about how our uh, culture is disrupted by the outbreak and how our uh, the, how the outbreak itself is actually affected by our culture. That was already our discussion for today. We have an expert on the line about to join us right now. We're checking in with KBIA reporter Sebastian Martinez Valdivia about the latest Boone County and City of Columbia stay-at-home order that was just issued. Uh, if you want to let us know how this is impacting you, your business, your daily life, are you going to the grocery store? Are you trying to plan events like graduations? Um, that's what we're talking about this next half hour. So give us a call and join the discussion. Um, Sebastian, uh, it looks like Mayor Treese also um, had some positive things to say about how we're all going to get this through this together. We want to hear from that. But what else strikes you about this? What do you think we should be on the lookout for with this stay-at-home order just released this morning? Yeah, so he, he, he did speak a little bit about community resilience. He referenced uh, Academic Hall, of course, which is the source of the columns on the quad uh, mm. in the University of Missouri campus. Um, I think things uh, to look towards uh, any sort of pressure from major city mayors on the governor to potentially do this kind of action statewide, um, further orders, potentially, like I mentioned, on limiting grocery stores. Those are things that are possibilities that we've seen in other places, um, but that I haven't heard anything about happening here. So that, that would be stuff to, to watch out for. Um, in the coming days. Okay, let's hear one more from Mayor Brian Treese, um, just talking this morning at a virtual press conference about the stay-at-home order that the city and county of Boone County are releasing today. We are in this together, and we will get through this together. And when we do, may we never take for granted greeting strangers with a handshake or our friends with a hug May we be thankful for a crowded football stadium or a packed city council chamber. And may we find joy in a busy morning getting ready for school once again, or having to wait 20 minutes for a table in the evening at our favorite local restaurant. Okay, you're listening to our special live noon forum on KBIA. Again, that is Mayor Brian Treese um, speaking this morning by virtual press conference. Um, we are also talking with KBIA reporter Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. He's on the line. He's been covering this for a couple of weeks. He joined us yesterday, and we thought we'd have him back in a little while. We didn't know it would be <laughs> the very next day. Um, Sebastian, that sounds like the mayor really trying to do what a leader needs to do right now, which is just bring everybody together and let us know it's going to be okay. Um, what do you think? Yeah, it's Kind of scenario for for leaders to be in right now because they need to at once make sure that people are taking this seriously um, and that's something that the county presiding commissioner dan atwell 
um, tried to do uh, when he spoke, um, but also making sure that people aren't panicking because then you get the panic buying, you get the grocery stores bought out of uh, toilet paper, for example. Um, and so you have to kind of balance it where people are taking it seriously, um, but they're not panicking. And that's, that's a really tricky proposition for any sort of leader. Absolutely. Sebastian, do you have anything else to add to this? Um, by the way, thank you for reading those 13 pages for all of us and for summarizing. <laughs> and again, all the reporting that you're so exhaustively doing right now. Anything to add? Um, just that we will have a web post up on our website at kbia.org with a breakdown of the new order, um, as well as linked to the full text of the order. Okay. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Um, so you all listeners, you can follow Sebastian on Twitter and see his updates. You can follow his um, and KBIA's live blog at KBIA.org. So this pandemic is disrupting our daily, weekly, annual rituals that many of us take for granted. Church services, play dates, childbirth that you might be planning, funerals um, that you may unfortunately having be having to hold right now, celebrations. Uh, commemorations have been postponed or completely altered. Um, how do these things affect the way a community responds to orders to stay inside and to distance ourselves from one another? And how do existing prejudices against certain groups escalate during these times of hardship? This is what we're talking about today, how disease outbreaks like the current crisis impact our culture, and also how our culture also affects the trajectory of disease outbreaks. We have a an expert on this. Dr. Carolyn Orban is a medical anthropologist and professor at MU's School of Health Professions. Dr. Orban studies this, how populations respond to disease outbreaks and how they have historically. So we're going to get the lowdown on this. It's also about how cultural norms and behaviors influence the spread of diseases, which we can see happening here um, globally with the coronavirus crisis. Uh, Carolyn Orban's research is based right here in Missouri, by the way. That's where she's looking at the spread of the de deadly 1918 Spanish flu across the state of Missouri historically. Carolyn Orban, welcome to KBIA. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Carolyn, again, you're an expert and you study this, and we've got this kind of uh, crisis unfortunately unfolding as early and as recently as this morning in our own community here. Um, what are you seeing with this, with your research that the rest of us might be missing? Yeah, one of the things, and, and I note that your reporter just now shared some clips from the um, from the mayor's press conference, and what struck me was the, the way that the language made use of these common symbols that we have in Columbia, Missouri, that he we can trust that he's speaking to us as Colombians, because he's talking about these things that we share in common, mm. things like a football game, things like academic hall, the, the fact that leadership uses these linguistic tools, if you want to call them that, to build cultural capital, to let, let the people know that he understands who we are, he understands you know, the kinds of things that are important to us. Those are the, the kinds of things that I look at when I'm looking at the influence of culture um, on disease spread. Fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like it, there was some poetry being evoked there with um, the mm -hmm. references to our restaurants and our columns. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is that uh, something that you are happy to see like and hear in the rest of us? And is this something that leaders sort of have to do instinctively or is this uh, sort of part of the job description? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I don't I can't speak for Mayor Treese, of course, but I think 
a good leader does speak to the values of the of the population that they're leading. And so being able to call on those shared symbols is really important. Um, it is also something that can be learned, and, and that's part, perhaps part of leadership. Um, but just in general, um, the way that we think about our behavior during an epidemic has both this kind of biological, right, like we're trying to avoid the pathogen, but also these kind of more symbolic behaviors, um, you know, ways that we have come up to greet greet one another um, that are different from our normal ways, right? The greeting is still important, but mm-hmm. we recognize that there are risks to our traditional form of greeting in this country, which would be a handshake or a hug, that we need to come up with some other option that fulfills the same role, the greeting and the recognition of, of each other in a social space. Um, so... Yes. Those kinds of things are, you know, pervasive throughout, and they kind of have this layer over all of our behavior that goes beyond just the biological. As you know, the mayor's comment was really optimistic, and we've heard other hopeful comments. Um, and we all want to believe that this is going to pass, and we're going to get back to handshakes and hugs, and we're going to be- get back to the reality we know eventually. As someone who studies outbreaks and disease and their impact on culture. Um, do you feel optimistic right now? This maybe should be the last question I ask you, but I just can't help it in light of the mayor's question going ahead and asking how you feel about all this. Yeah, it, you know, I've spent the last year or so working on this um, 1918 flu project, and so I've been reading from the manuscripts collection at the Historical Society and looking at the records that are available through this, you know, the state um, secretary of state's office. And these include the death certificates and and all kinds of letter collections and other uh, primary source data. And so, I guess having the long view, yes, I am optimistic um, because disease is part of our ecology as you know, an animal species. You know, we, mm. we exist in, in a natural world and disease is part of that. Um, and it, it's both positive and negative that some of the some of the things that I'm seeing people talk about in 1918 are some of the same things we're talking about today. People who are making decisions about travel, people who are making decisions on whether or not to have parties or get togethers. And on the one hand, it's, you know, we're, we're still the same people that we were 100 years ago. Yes, very much so. You're listening to our noontime live check-in on KBIA. I'm Janet Saidi, and we're talking with Dr. Carolyn Orban about ways that culture affects the way people respond to disease outbreaks, both now and historically. Have you had to cancel or postpone a birthday or anniversary celebration? Are you worried about graduation? Uh, are you worried about social distancing? Um Maybe a graduation is coming up. Um, You're having a hard time participating with church services. We want to hear how you're coping with the limits on social gatherings posed by coronavirus um, and posed by the sort of stay-at-home order that the city and county have just had to send down today. Um, You can join our conversation. Let us know what's going on with you, how you're uh, coping with this, how you're getting around it. So, Carolyn, um, you study, again, how culture is affected by disease outbreaks and vice versa. Um, and a big part of our culture, really, almost every culture is this, you know, these large community gatherings. Um, it's mm-hmm. like having the rug pulled out from under you when you suddenly can't take these for granted, especially, I think, for, for younger people and older people, maybe, um, with, when it comes to these kinds of family gatherings. And we're really seeing, you know, there can be some strong responses from people when that happens. Why do you think it's hard for us to fully accept this guidance to avoid these gatherings and stay at home? Do you think we're slow to accept this? And why so? Yeah, I think for for a lot of individual people, it can be really difficult to weigh the risk that they themselves might be facing compared with 
the loss that they might face if they're not able to participate in these gatherings or these kind of ritual behaviors. And when I say ritual behavior, it makes it sound exotic, but, you know, going to church or having a birthday party or having graduation, um, these are rituals and they are important and they serve a function in our society. And so the idea that you can't participate them as you as you want to is, is hard to take, especially when you're trying to, like I said, balance that individual risk of illness. Um, so people are having to weigh these two conflicting ideas at the same time. And, um, you know, I was talking to some of the college students in my class as as this pandemic was getting worse and there was evidence that was coming into Missouri and, you know, the question of graduation came up and we talked about, you know, are you actually graduating at graduation and what is the function of this ritual, right? You yeah. completed all your requirements going into graduation. So it's not, it's not a magical transformation. So then what mm. are the important elements of this? So now I think that's something to think about when you're thinking of alternatives is what is what are the important elements of this ritual of this experience and can we provide an acceptable alternative um, yeah. whether that means you know postponing or doing something different doing something online if possible you know I, I think that's the thing is sometimes it's not the activity itself it's what the activity means and if you can imbue some other activity with that meaning it, it might it might do good to to do that other activity instead that's a great thought. And we had a lot of callers and a lot of discussion yesterday, and I think we'll continue the discussion about alternative ways to commemorate and celebrate events. Um, and we'll continue those discussions. So if you callers out there, listeners, if you have innovative ways you're getting around these things, um, family, friends, uh, listeners, go ahead and give us a call. Let us know how you're getting around this. Or maybe you just want to complain because this all really does suck, actually. So give us a call. Uh, we're going to get through it, though, as the mayor said, and we believe him. Um, so yeah, Dr. Orban, you were mentioning the, that balance uh, between, you know, having to shut things down. I feel like uh, we've seen this in our school districts, in our mayors, our leaders who are there really all about um, championing schools and attendance, championing businesses and restaurants, suddenly in a very short time, really having to um, kind of come to grips with the fact that they've got to shut down. And, you know, they are you look you look at the history we can look back to 1918 but 1918 was a long time ago um are mm-hmm. how does that happen and how are we um able to be adept at at kind of taking these kinds of stay-at-home orders and these policies on yeah yeah you, you know one of the funny things I, I i have thought about you know before back in the fall when i was first looking through a lot of these these manuscript collections i was thinking man, these people are writing a lot of letters to each other, you know, sometimes multiple mm. letters a day. Mm. Now, having been in, you know, in my house for the last two weeks, I understand um, just how important communication is. And I mm. think um, our kind of 2020 culture has adapted by moving a lot of this online. Um, I know in my own family, we have like daily or, you know, multiple times a day video chats with grandparents and aunts and uncles and um and those have kind of replaced the letter writing, but there are lots of check-ins. So mm. the, that is one really, I think, positive adaptation that we've, we've made in, in, in culture now. And to extend that to the business community, you've seen the development, really, really fast development of things like curbside pickup to try to help support the business community. So we these really quick adaptations, which I think have been really interesting and innovative. 
Well, that's great. Is there anything that you have seen with your research with the Spanish flu? It actually is a fascinating Mm -hmm. time. It's really similar. Mm -hmm. Um, It happened in 1918. Um, It originated, I think, in Europe, and that's why it was called the Spanish flu. Um, But it -hmm. it happened everywhere, just like coronavirus, and it happened in Missouri. What what do you bring from that knowledge of that experience to us that we can learn from today? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things just specific to Missouri is is I've been looking particularly at how it spread through Missouri and trying to understand the spread. And the fact is that our that our cities that were big cities back then are still the big cities now. So as we, as we started to see the coronavirus kind of enter Missouri, it was almost entirely predictable based on the 19 pat, 1918 pattern where it was going to spread first here. Right. And that, and that mm. just seems like logic, especially if you're from from Missouri, like where if you expected a disease that originated outside of the state to enter the state, where would it come? Right. And it would come through St. Louis. It would come through Kansas City, those big population centers. Just so. So that's a, the same pattern. Um, the, the thing I've been thinking about a lot is um, in the 1918 pandemic, there appears to be and I haven't fully worked out this because I'm still in data collection, but um, appears to be some areas of the state that were particularly hard hit. And so I'm looking now at the um, and mostly that's kind of southeast boot heel area. And um, so I'm looking now at this coronavirus, um, seeing if that pattern holds up again. Um, and there are reasons that it could, and there are reasons that might be different this time around. So I am pretty interested from a more, you know, academic sense, from a step back sense, um, to see if that pattern holds. And, and the fact is that there would be, you know, similar patterns across 100 years it says a lot about the stability of the population in Missouri and, and, you know, the fact that some of the challenges that existed 100 years ago still exist today. Okay. Uh, Carolyn Orban, we have a caller. Let's go to um, our caller and see what they have to say. Mike you are on the air. Thank you so much for calling in. What's going on with you today? Well, I had uh, a couple of questions. I don't know if you could answer them, but it wasn't made clear. And then I have one comment. My first question is actually maybe one question uh, instead of two, is what about outside activities like porch visiting, which we've been doing uh, uh, with elderly people and grandkids and stuff like that, um, staying out, you know, staying out, you know, at, at, a, at a good distance from them, but talking to them, you know, you know in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, good, it, yeah. It, and running and running uh, that, you know, bicycling, walking, that kind of thing outside. Yeah. As far as I know, Mike, um, that sort of thing is still OK and encouraged. But our producers can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe um, that outside activities are still encouraged and it's okay still maintain a minimum of six feet if possible just try to do that um so yeah go out jogging but give people their space everyone no one's being rude we're just trying to stay well um i'm sort of being overly friendly from a distance with people um and so do that but uh someone tells me playgrounds might be um shut down now but public parks are open um, people can still take walks, uh, but yes, do that main, maintain that six feet of social distancing. Mike, did you have a comment you wanted to make as well? I did. I, I wanted to say that uh, uh, one place here in town, I'll give a plug from Clover's, is having curbside mm. pickup. Yes. And uh, the, the grocery stores are too crowded, and we need to protect the workers that are in the grocery store. Whenever you go to a grocery store, they're so crowded, and it's time this is a different time. We need to adapt and we need to protect those people that are vulnerable and underpaid in the grocery stores 
and go to some kind of curbside pickup. Okay, Mike, thank you so much for calling. We appreciate the call. Um, yes, I would echo the shout out to Clover. Um, they are doing curbside with groceries. I think Hy-Vee and a lot of grocery stores um, sometimes do that. I'm not sure. I can't tell you exactly which ones are doing this and which aren't right now, uh, but I know Clover's is. So that's a good point um, that Mike is making that we maybe want to look at how we're getting our groceries um, and do it in the safest way possible. But at the moment, as far as the City of Columbia and Boone County order and stay-at-home order, Grocery shopping um, is fine. Uh, it is excluded from the stay-at-home order, so it is considered essential activity. And grocery stores are considered to be essential businesses, so they're going to stay in operation. Um, okay, I have another caller on the air as well. Um, this is very much a family show, um, and I have a caller named Ranger who maybe have so- has something to say. Hi, Ranger. Hi. Hi, Ranger. Hey, you have a birthday maybe coming up, and I hear there's been some innovative things that you've been doing with birthdays. What's going on in your neighborhood for birthdays? Um, my friend Bloom had a birthday a few days ago, and um, we saw that um, there was this guy running around in a car with um, a trumpet in his hand wearing a um, towel. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I have to ask. Ranger, you were my great source for this um, because I was wondering who, what happened because my entire family in my house w- rushed to the windows because there was a kid outside of a, a, a sunroof playing a trumpet and driving around, and it made us all incredibly happy. Um, so that was a birthday parade you're saying, right, Ranger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any, anything else that you're doing? You're somebody who's at home. Um, with your family and doing school at home, um, how is this going? Are you are you okay with being at home right now? Yeah, I am. I'm actually really excited. Well, good. So the the birthday parades and everything are keeping you excited and happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. When, do you have an, another birthday parade coming up? Yeah, and actually, I'm gonna do it. All right. Well, Ranger, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, You have a great day and have a great birthday parade, okay? Okay. Okay. Bye, Ranger. And um, I will just say that Ranger is our news director, uh, Ryan Famuliner's daughter. So um, it really is a family show. We really appreciate her calling in. So uh, so it must run in the family. She's a source for news with us. Um, (laughs) So... Carolyn, um, we need to actually, we've, it was lovely to get those callers. It's lovely to actually hear your perspective and your historic perspective. We'd love to have you back on. We need to wrap up a little bit here. But um, do you have anything to add that we should keep in mind from your historic perspective um, and expertise as we go forward? Um, yeah, so we, we didn't talk that much about the, the, the prejudice and yes. um, blaming, and, and so that's probably for another time. But, but mm-hmm. I, I do want to be aware, do want to have people be aware that this is something really common in pandemics. That doesn't mean it's right. It's, it's not right. And often it's counterproductive. But blaming of, of uh, communities and particularly communities who are so-called other is, is something that's very, very typical um, and so we should be on the watch out for that because we, we don't want to perpetuate um, any kind of pre-existing, you know, bias or prejudice in our communities um, with this un- kind of unnecessary and often incorrect blame. 
Yes, I think actually, Carolyn, our producer is just making a, um, Christopher Houston, just making a comment that this should be an entire other show. We've already seen this being called the China virus, which we um, won't call it that. We'll call it the coronavirus. Um, And uh, it's a crisis. But um, yes, please come back, Dr. Orban, and join us. Um, We'd love to to continue the discussion. Um, And please stay well. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. That's it for today's live forum. Thank you, Professor Carolyn Orban, for joining us today. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Thanks, callers, for calling us. Uh, This show is produced by Christopher Hustad with KBIA News Director Ryan Famuliner and with a little help not only from Ranger Famuliner today, but from Zia Kelly and Madison Conti, our uh, producers. Thanks also to KBIA Program Director Kyle Felling and Chief Engineer Mark Johnson. KBIA's health reporting is produced by Sebastian Martinez Valdivia and Rebecca Smith with Digital Director Nathan Lawrence. You can check out KBIA's live blog with regular updates on the COVID-19 crisis as it unfolds here in our community. That's at kbia.org. If you did not get to call in to this live discussion today, we'll be back here tomorrow. You can also, though, call our voicemail. Let us know how you're doing and what your experience is. You might be also listening to a rebroadcast of this discussion. Call the voicemail. That number is 877-532-0971. Again, that's 877-532-0971. You can also find it at kbia.org. And again, for more community and conversation over the airwaves, meet us back here tomorrow at noon, same time, same place. I'm Janet Saidi. Stay well and stay in touch.